Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what a senior manager of product management does at a large tech company, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is an engineer and an innovative technology leader who works on developing global health technology programs. But before I introduce you to Adam Broda, who's also the founder of Broda Coaching, it's a side hustle to help clients transition either into tech or into engineering functions, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's newsletter that breaks down career advice and insights from the professionals who are actually in the industries that most interest you. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my technophiles, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Adam Broda, a senior manager of product management within the global health technology track at a big company that shall not be named. And I'm not disclosing the name here because Adam doesn't want his work there to be seen as conflicting with his side hustle, his coaching business. Prior to working at this unnamed company as a senior manager of product management, Adam worked as a senior manager of wellness technology at Amazon, where he helped to build the wellness technology organization there from the ground up. These wellness technology programs were designed to help Amazon employees to take more control over their own wellness in a holistic manner. Prior to Amazon, Adam worked at another giant company headquartered on the West Coast of the U.S., only this one in the aerospace industry called Boeing. Adam started off at Boeing right out of undergrad as a tooling engineer and over almost eight years was promoted up the ranks to become a senior production engineering manager for Boeing's additive manufacturing. And we are going to be digging into that in this interview. Adam, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated and ready to go? I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Excited. Here we go. All right. By the way, if you want to learn more about how to break into the tech industry, whether as an engineer, or in a non-technical role, check out show notes to see if Adam's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. So Adam, before we get into how you help your clients land great jobs in the tech industry, I've heard a lot of people use the words engineering 
and computer scientist, coder, almost as synonyms. In other words, someone who writes software is called an engineer, just as someone who studied mechanical engineering and was a tooling engineer may be called an engineer. Why is that an incorrect use of those job functions? Yeah, great question. I'd say people often get degree paths confused in the same way, right? You can have a computer science degree and an engineering degree, and they can be totally different things. It comes back to the transferable skills. What is the statement of work that you're accomplishing on a day-to-day? What kind of experiences are you building? What kind of tools are you working in? The engineering role is going to drive specific connotations. Computer science and then research might not. Now, there can be overlaps. Of course, that's going to depend on the industry and the company. But when I'm searching for someone to do software development engineering, I'm using keywords to do that. And then I'm looking for key things in their background. So it comes back to like, how are you going to research prior to hopping into a job search? Just make sure you understand what those titles actually mean to the audience. We see this all the time in the non-technical space too. A program manager at a company like Oracle is not a program manager at a company like Google. The roles and responsibilities are totally different. So you got to understand the audience perspective when you talk that. So short of hiring someone like you, Adam, for an undergrad who's just trying to dip their toe into their first job experience, where can they go to get more information about what different roles mean at those different companies? First thing that I would recommend is go and talk to people that work there. In most cases, that is going to be the best source of truth. The other thing to consider is let's use Amazon as a use case. Amazon has 1.3 million people that work at that company. It is the size of Austin, Texas. You could go to a program manager in one business unit of Amazon and say, hey, tell me about your job. And then you could go to another program manager in a completely different business unit, and they might have a very different answer. And those job descriptions are going to be written different. And the requirements can be different. So use people at the firms closest to the roles that you're interested in to help be the North Star, to get the accurate information. Aside from that, recruiters are a great point of contact to ask those same questions to. And then I would even say most of the big companies, you can just use their job boards. Get onto grow.google.com and run a search for whatever skill you're interested in, let's say business analyst. You'll see the job descriptions that pop up and that'll again be a pretty good indication of these are the kind of skills I need. This is the experience I need at different levels. This is the types of hard and soft skills that I need to execute and roll well. I say people first and then job description second is typically how I would break that down. So what are the range of tracks that are available for someone who has an educational background, a degree as an engineer? Could you clarify what you mean by educational background? Their major Mm -hmm. was some form of engineering. What are all the different types of tracks that they could be exploring within a big tech company? I mean, maybe the best part about having that engineering degree is that you can do so many things with it. In my opinion, it comes back to what kind of work are you going to enjoy? And then probably where are you going to get paid the most? At least in the interaction I have with clients that those two questions are at the top of that list. 
I'm a good example of this. I have two engineering degrees. My bachelor's is in mechanical. I'm a product manager. I transitioned into the big tech space in a program management role. I was I was peers with program managers that were medical doctors, lawyers. There was an F-22 fighter pilot from the Air Force that was a program manager with me. So again, some roles are going to be big and broad and accept lots of different backgrounds. Other roles are not. And in terms of what are the tracks you can do as an engineer, I don't want to give you a bad answer and say they're limitless, but they're basically limitless. There's there's probably specific research jobs and scientific jobs. There's probably legal jobs, marketing and finance jobs that wouldn't be super interesting and you probably wouldn't qualify well for. But in terms of like, do you want to do a PM role, an analyst role, a data science role, a risk management role? And again, the list just goes on and on and on. Someone with a degree in ME or IE or even CE, it would not be hard for them to hop around. The reason that I wanted to ask you that, because I mm-hmm. think that even within a technical educational training, such as an engineer, I think that there can be, just like with somebody with a liberal arts degree, a tendency to think very narrowly about how to apply what they've learned and not to realize that you're also getting training in your mindset, that there are all kinds of transferable skills because there are plenty of people who major in engineering, no doubt, Adam, and are like, you know, I'm not really loving this. So how can I use that degree in a way that will light me up? Absolutely. Again, the the closer you can get to the passionate work and the skill sets that allow you to excel early on, the better. We see this all the time in, in our coaching firm. We help people transition is somebody has just picked the wrong degree in the wrong career field and have has been there for five years, has started to slowly hit them like, hey, I'm pretty miserable and I'm not really all that good at this. And this is also really boring. And typically, it's the boring part that happens first. So again, short version is it's really important before you head into school to try and frame what good looks like. Before you head to that first job, try to frame what good looks like. Are you going to be doing things that you're excited about? Are you going to be using skills that you are good at? Are you going to be compensated in a way that's fair? Are you going to work in an environment that that you're excited to be in. And, and I have that question come up all the time is, are there going to be promotion opportunities? Are there going to be opportunities to work in a hybrid space? Am I going to work with smart people? The environment is up to you. But again, you need to get as close to that ideal career space as you possibly can. And that's not always going to be possible. But in an ideal world, that's what you want. I'm so glad that you didn't yet again use the word passion. And we may have a difference of opinion here because I do work with college students, juniors, seniors, and then really recent grads. And one of the challenges that I see, Adam, is that more often than not, they don't know yet what their professional passion is. And I believe that you discover your passion by experimenting, by taking different jobs in different industries, trying out different roles and seeing where that fit happens, where that right formula is for you. Yeah, I think the giant misconception is that when we say passions, people associate that with like a job role or a title. And that's 
completely the wrong way to think about passions. You, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's an experimenting process. That's so much, I mean, that's what college is for so many people, right? You're going to change majors, you're going to figure things out, and that is okay. Newsflash, that's what happens in the career world too. You don't just magically figure everything out when you graduate. Totally, <laughs> totally. It is no accident that 75% of college students change their majors at least once. As you said, news alert, that's a microcosm of what's going to happen to you. It will happen for the rest of your life. And here's the cool part, right? Is again, like what I don't want to hear is you tell me that I'm passionate about being a mechanical engineer. That's a virtually meaningless statement. What I want to hear is I'm passionate about designing something in Katia. I'm a passionate about putting something on my 3D printer and designing something that no one's ever seen before. It's the specifics of what you're passionate about. The job that you might be best suited for in 15 years probably doesn't exist right now. With Metaverse and NFTs and Web3, who the heck knows what it's going to look like in, in 10 to 15 years? So you don't need to worry about like, what do I want to be when I grow up? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. What you want to think about is, what do I want to be good at? the farther on I go into my career? Like, what are the skills I really want to be able to accelerate in? Focus on the specifics as opposed to the titles and the, and the roles. Okay. Speaking of roles, your current job title is Senior Manager of Product Management in Global Health Technology at a big tech company that shall not be named just like Voldemort. What does <laughs> that mean? Specifically, what do you do in that role, Adam? The role, I'll say, changes with level. So me at a senior manager level is a little bit different than what I would be a level or two down. My organization is called Global Health Technology, and we build digital health and wellness products for worldwide health and safety. So I report up to the vice president of WHS. And the short version is we try to build technologies that proactively make people healthier. The whole goal is employees come into our company, they go through our health and wellness programs, and they leave in a better state, whether that's physical, mental, whatever component of health, than they came in. That's our objective. And we use technology to help us accomplish that vision. So in your role, and I've gotten this from your LinkedIn profile, you direct product managers, researchers, software engineers to develop innovative technology solutions. How do you do that? It all comes down to solving the right problem. It's, it, you know, we have engineers like to, that can build things. We have product people that can design and make it something that people are going to love to use. It's all about how we decide to focus our resources on the right things. So we source problems from a group of stakeholders. Those could be other people in the health and wellness space. We also, we also source them directly from employees. So we use a lot of feedback mechanisms to understand what people don't like about their work, how people get injured, or what makes them mentally unhealthy when they're working. And then with enough data to arm us, we put project proposals together to solve those problems, right? Again, if people are having bad mental health experiences because of something going on at work, there's possibly a technology solve that we can create to help abate that. And that's really the simple version of, of what we do is try to figure out the biggest problems that impact the largest amount of people and then come up with an efficient technology solution to help that in some way, shape, or form. 
So I would have to imagine that what we've been experiencing over the last couple of years <laughs> with the with the work from home kind mm-hmm. of pandemic world that we live in now has been a pretty big source of mental anguish in addition to a benefit. I mean, I'm sure it slices both ways. Is that something that your team has been trying to address? Absolutely. Health, health is a big, giant, complicated ball of yarn. There's, there's so many things that health can be. COVID changed everything in some cases. And work is virtual. We don't see people as often. We don't have the same level of interaction. And that affects people's mental health and in, in, in affinity in many ways. I think even the way that promotion, promotions happen is, is now changed because the relationships aren't, they're not there the same way they used to be. So yes, we deal directly with mental health components of health and wellness. We're the tech folks. I've got engineers and product people and, and researchers. We will build the widget, but we work directly with the smart, let's say, health professionals, doctors that actually tell us the requirements for the technology we build. It's not Adam Broda deciding what medical solution someone needs. It's a doctor that's qualified to make that decision saying, hey, Adam, here are the requirements for this technology and how it needs to function. And we say, great, we'll figure out how to build it and we'll make it beautiful and a thing that people love to interact with. How do you prepare for this kind of role in product management, Adam? And I ask you that question knowing Mm -hmm. that you're a mechanical engineer by educational background, who went on and got a master's in systems architecting and engineering. And you did that back when you were at Boeing. We're going to touch on that in a moment. But how does the average person prepare for a role in product management? Product is such an interesting space. I would say that we work a lot with clients that want to get into product, especially in big tech. And I would tell them that it's not the easiest job role to transition into. It's often pretty well protected in the big tech space, which is different than a project management role or a program management role. Product is all about user experiences. If you can create an app or a website that people love to use and attract the right attention and create a funnel for a company that generates a lot of money, that is a huge deal. In terms of how to prepare for that, the answer is through people, the closer you can get to understanding what users want and how to get the data to determine that is a good thing. A good project manager, I'm sorry, a good product manager is going to have a system for making assumptions about what their users are going to find attractive and then validating those assumptions through testing, data collection, feedback, prototyping, all kinds of things. Again, like that's not easy experience to get in the right, let's just say, environment. So I would say, in terms of like, if you want to go product, try to find job roles as close to product as you possibly can. Job roles that are going to allow you to understand users, either from a research perspective, a feedback perspective, or a build perspective. Jobs that allow you to get close to lots of people and their feedback is a really good foot in the door for having that product conversation. Can you take us into a typical day for you on the job? We are doing this interview in mid-February of 2022. You're obviously still, quote unquote, working from home because you're staying with your in-laws right now in Virginia. You're not even back on the West Coast where you and your wife and children live. So what does it look like, Adam? 
a day in the life of product, and, and again, it, it does change per level. I would tell you that I spend a fair amount of time reading, critiquing, and even writing research papers. Much of what we do in the product space comes back to selling an idea for a solution. And to do that effectively, we need data to drive the conversation. So papers are also where that data kind of gets compiled. And I'm often reading idea papers from my team. I have a team of product managers that manage our portfolio of stuff. So I'm advising and consulting to some degree them in terms of how to sell their idea and who their audience is and their stakeholders are. Aside from that part, I'd say I spend a lot of time day to day in brainstorming sessions, in product development discussions. And that's really fun part of my job is where I get to talk with lots of different people from lots of different skills, even different companies at some times. And we just talk about, let's think big and let's get creative and let's try to solve a problem in a space that no one has ever approached from a perspective. And I love the creative side of my job. And that's probably another pretty big chunk. And then I'd say the third big chunk of how my day is often spent is in one-on-ones with employees. At the senior level, you've got a team of a couple different other teams. And I speak with managers. I have one-on-ones with, with skip-level folks. And I like to spend you know, roughly 20 to 30% of my time in a given day with people, directly giving feedback or talking about what's going on with them. And yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's typical of what my day looks like. I spend a lot of time with products. I spend a lot of time with people. And I spend a lot of time figuring out how to sell those products. What does skip level mean? Skip level just means that uh, one level beneath, beneath me would be a manager and then their direct report. So every once in a while, I'll meet with people that report to someone that is beneath me to get feedback and talk about how we could do things better and just meet and learn them. I, I'm a big fan of getting to know my team. So that's what we mean by skip level. So how large is your team and how many direct reports do you have? I have... Man, it's been a while since I thought about this. <laughs> I think I have seven direct reports. And then my team, I'd say about half of those direct reports are managers. The other half could be senior research folks or, or principal product folks that, that don't necessarily want to be people managers. So I'd say it's about half and half. I've got some individual contributors that report to me. And then I have people managers that report to me. But my organization is com- really comprised into three groups. There's a software engineering team. There is a product management team, and then there's a research team. All in all, we're a handful of folks, I'd say somewhere in the 20 to 30 range, depending on (laughs) the given month. Sometimes we have contractors come in for different project work. So sometimes that number goes up or down. But that's roughly what we look like. We're we're relatively lean. It's lean, but I have to tell you, seven direct reports, that's a handful. It's nothing compared to what I had when I was at Boeing. At at Boeing, there were times where I had upwards of 40, 50 direct reports. That's not something I would ever wish on my worst enemy. That was a ridiculous number. But yeah, seven is uh, something that's... It's still a lot, but totally manageable. Yeah. Well, let's move (laughs) to your time at Boeing because prior to moving into tech at Amazon where you worked prior to the role that you're in right now, you had spent almost eight years at Boeing. And your title was Senior Production Engineering Manager working on the Boeing Additive Manufacturing. How was your job experience at a behemoth like Boeing different 
from beyond the number of people that you had, that you were managing, different from a tech giant like Amazon? The companies from a culture perspective are very different. And, and I would say that some of that is driven by the product that they work on. I talked about this a little bit in our coffee shot interview, but the way risk is managed between those two inter- industries is very different. Boeing is very selectively and carefully managing risk because they're building commercial airplanes and rockets and, again, st- stuff that can't fail. And that, that attitude really trickles all the way down the company from the top to the bottom where things just move slower because we have to be more selective with how risk is managed. And the pace that, that the Boeing company worked at is noticeably different than, than Amazon. I also would say that, yeah, larger teams is common. When I left, I think I had about 60 people in the production engineering organization. And that was a small team for a senior manager to have. Granted, we were, we were kind of a business startup and that number was going to get bigger. But from a tech perspective, again, back to the risk conversation, everything is about speed and scale. Failure is okay as long as it's in the right place. And you hear the, the terminology fail fast a lot. And yeah, you design, you prototype, you test, you iterate, fail, iterate again, and on and on and on. And you work as fast as you possibly can through that cycle to get to a production-hardened product that even again, even if the production version fails, it's, it's never good, but people aren't dying on an airplane. It's the consequences of a failure are so different that speed can really happen at a completely different pace. So yeah, the, those, those jobs are quite different from a culture perspective. I'd say I fit better in the faster pace environment. I, I enjoy the freedom to fail and fail more, more fa- I guess, quickly, more than I did the slower moving, let's be really risk adverse component of the job that I used to have. But yeah, does that answer your question? It does. And actually, that's so interesting because I had a very similar experience, Adam, in a completely different industry in the nonprofit space. I worked at a huge, second most recognizable brand name nonprofit called the American Red Cross, which was super risk averse, super bureaucratic, super slow. And I moved to another nonprofit, global nonprofit, that was all about innovation, was all about trying new things, that was very sort of, the culture was complete, it was a hugging culture, you know, it was very, and coincidentally, it was also on the West Coast, <laughs> Pacific Northwest. Plus. So just finding that right fit goes beyond Maybe what you do in the job, it's how you feel in the company. Absolutely. So I would, why did you switch? And, and maybe this is going to give you an opportunity to answer that. Why? Because you were clearly doing very well at Boeing, moving up the ranks in a very senior role. Why did you want to switch from aerospace to tech? It's such a good question. And there's, there's a lot of reasons. There's... there's there's a very honest reason in the sense that I went on paternity leave in November of 2019 for a few months. And a lot changed in the few months that I was out. COVID hit, things were shutting down. Boeing already had one airplane that was grounded. And a global pandemic where people aren't flying is, is just 
it's like a hurricane coming in from the ocean, right? As you're standing on the beach or you, you know what's about to happen. So started the conversation of like, what would a different job look like? And the other real problem with the job in additive manufacturing was the commute. I, I was commuting about an hour and a half one way for about two to three hours every day. And with a new baby, that was just not something that was going to be okay. So I had already started conversations on doing a different job even inside the company and relocating to a new site. And there was a lot going on at the time. I really didn't consider tech up until the point where I started networking with some of my old connections from Boeing. And, and again, just reaching out to people that had left the company and saying, hey, how are things in the industry you're in? Do you like what you're doing? And had a really good conversation with an old boss that I used to work for. And she said like, hey, this is such a cool team. We need a technology leader. This is probably going to be outside your comfort zone, but I really think this fits your skill set. And I was really recruited that way. What I found out, and, and again, in all honesty, is tech is this huge, giant, complicated space. It's not just software engineers. It's lots and lots of non-technical roles. And again, in a company like Amazon, which is where I went, the culture in one group can be totally different from the culture in another. But the team that I came into in the health and wellness world was just one of the greatest cultures I'd ever experienced. I, I think it was a scenario where the grass was just so much greener on the other side of the hill. I was shocked when I got there. And yeah, you, you start to learn a new culture. You start to learn how a new company behaves. You start to see what it means to be in the tech world. And again, like the types of talent that you can command when you put a job requisition out there uh, versus what I used to have. And I would say, yeah, it's been a great transition. It's been a great fit for me. I've, I'm still learning a lot in, in the tech space and, and that's okay. But at least for the meantime, like this is where I want to be and product is where I want to stay. I, I love learning about how to do this really well. And I, you know, my, my goal is to continue to do it at a bigger and bigger level where our products eventually are international. So, so far, so good from my perspective. I just want to make another observation because you mentioned, I think in the Espresso Shots interview, we were talking about why college students and recent grads should not worry about where they're going to be five years from now, let alone longer, because there are jobs that don't even exist yet that are going to be out there that may interest you. Well, here's another observation. Your personal circumstances are going to evolve if you decide to have a family. If you decide you don't want to be grinding it out 15 hours a day. So don't waste your energy and your time trying to game that out. Just try to focus on where you are now because things are going to change, whether it's the pandemic whether it's another global pandemic, whether it's another economic upheaval, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you'll have some control over the change and then you'll have zero control over other types of change. And, and you're absolutely right that there's no point in trying to overly control what the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years looks like. You can have a plan and you can do your best to stick to it, but I mean, kids, yeah, totally change what is most important in, in my life. And like I said, I was up until that point, I'm happy to drive three hours and, you know, see in Seattle traffic every day, but you've happy? got a, a little, <laughs> I, 
happy is happy is maybe uh, maybe the wrong word, but I, I wasn't complaining. Let's put it that way. I really liked what I was doing. It wasn't that I hated my job. I love my job, and and like you said, the company had treated me really well. I promoted three times in a few years, and and was positioned to become a director. I was actually acting director at the time when I when I changed, but there was a lot of good going on. But all of that really started to matter less when I had a baby. That missing three hours a day from that kid's life was just not something that I was okay with. And it comes back to your life priorities, right? That's a big part of what we teach at Proto Coaching is your career and your life are melded together. There really isn't this hard line between them. The balance you draw is up to you. And it, it really comes back to the type of lifestyle you want for yourself. Do you want to work 18 hours a day and work in a high rise in New York and sell yourself to a corporate machine to be a billionaire? Then by all means, go ahead. If that's what you want, then more power to you. But if it's not what you want, then there, there's another design that you need to be pursuing. Finding the right design is an iterative process. Don't make the assumption that the design you walk out of school with when you're 21 years old is going to be the design when you're 40. Maybe it is, but in most cases, it's not. And that's okay. Totally. So you held titles like equipment and tool engineering manager, manufacturing manager. How did those experiences, Adam, help you when you started at Amazon working on wellness technology? What was transferable? Yeah, maybe the most important part of my job in those managerial roles at Boeing was understanding business life cycle. Many of the positions that I held were in new businesses. So I worked in a group called Future Production Systems, where we were building really big, complicated equipment to move airplane parts around. And we were starting from scratch. Same thing with Boeing Additive Manufacturing. It was a brand new business startup. I was employee like number three. I learned how to scope what a business should be, what it should do, how it's successful, sell the idea of how the business is going to function to higher ups and get approval and funding to go make it happen. And it's it's a lot of the business skill that actually transferred into the job I have now. Not necessarily the engineering side where I was really smart about how things were going to break or bend or how to do drawings. It was understanding, well, you know, hey, we have this really complicated tooling system. Let's put the system requirements together and then figure out how to validate those requirements. Let's put a test plan in place. Let's put a ROI plan in place. And that stands for return on investment. When is the company going to make money off of the thing we're building? Much of that is what I do now. So yeah, I got good at standing up businesses and to some degree systems. And that is how I sold my way into Amazon, right? I said, look, you know, hey, I, I have experience standing up brand new teams. I have experience creating systems from scratch and making them work. I can do that at this company. It's a very different feel, but it's the same premise at the end of the day. And, and that, that's how I got where I am now. I'm curious, before we flashback super fast to when you were an undergrad, did you do any studying, any sort of self-education work in your free time, Adam, after you moved into your new role at Amazon? Absolutely. I think there's always going to be an opportunity to self-educate. So yeah, basically try to identify places in my skill set where there might be some gaps. And coming into a tech industry in a role like that, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision, those are 
components of products that we build now that I didn't have a lot of experience in. So yeah, hopped on LinkedIn and started taking courses and programs, went and grabbed some cheap, simple Coursera certification stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of thinking that you have to retool with a degree every single time. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But doing things that take a couple of days or a couple of weeks, even a couple of months is never a bad idea, especially educational platforms that allow you to work at your own pace. I don't think I'll ever stop that. I think there's always something I can be learning. Well, listen, in this digital age, reskilling and upskilling are just, that's the table stakes. You've yeah. got to keep working on it. So Adam, real fast, I'd like to flash back to when you were an undergrad at Virginia Tech, where you got an MS in mechanical engineering. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I, th I think you mean BS, right? Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering. Oh, I'm sorry. A BS. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I did. <laughs> to some degree, I did. So my parents are both engineers. My dad's a welding engineer. They both had jobs at, at engineering firms. And I, I interned at those firms. And I had a good understanding of work that I liked to do. Loved hands-on stuff. Loved welding. Loved designing tools and putting them together. So yeah, I... I changed my degree a couple times in school to get to the point where I was like, okay, I really like ME. I actually came in in civil, but then I learned that nothing in civil moves and that's kind of boring. So <laughs> to transition into mechanical engineering, was working on cars and all kinds of cool projects. And yeah, I had a good understanding. I, I My two target companies coming out of school were General Motors and then the company I actually had interned for, which was called Ariba, which is a nuclear maintenance company. And I would say that I, I got offers in both of those spaces. And then my cousin, who worked for Boeing, kind of sold me at the last second and said, Hey, Boeing is hiring. You should apply to this kind of big career fair that they do out in the Pacific Northwest. And I did and ended up getting an offer from that. And long story short, that just sounded like the most exciting thing. Design tools, come work on planes and live somewhere that you haven't lived before. And it's just funny, though, like you said, that plan lasted me like, a year and a half. <laughs> That's how long I actually spent doing that before I said, oh, there's something even more interesting. I'm going to change and go do that. So yeah, I mean, what did I know when I graduated? But at least it was good enough for the first step. And sometimes I saw it needs to be. Well, and you also pivoted within mm -hmm. the same company. Right. And then they paid for my next degree. So it's a win-win. Amazing. Why did you decide to start a coaching company, Adam? And who are your ideal clients? So it, it all kind of began right around that same time frame in end of 2019. We had just had a baby. The Boeing company was going through some tough, you know, tough times. I was trying to find a new job. And that conversation kind of entered the realm of, well, in a crazy world, if you were to lose your job, again, playing the hypothetical game with my wife, probably like one in the morning as we're rocking our two or three month old to sleep, what would that look like? What would we do? And I said, well, you know, we, I've spent a lot of time at Boeing in leadership development programs and have gone through some coaching certs. Like, I could probably do career coaching. And I had been following some people on LinkedIn at the time and kind of saw what they were doing and, and thought about like, you know, I, I really, I have a lot to add to these conversations about hiring and resumes and, and how to network. And, and I, I do this effectively. And at the time, it was when I was going... I was really heading into the tech world and beginning that that process. And I thought, well, 
I'm just going to experiment for a couple of weeks with posting on LinkedIn and see what happens. And I got some good feedback. And then I said, well, worst case scenario, I'm just going to do this as a side hustle and, and see where it goes. And that's really how it started. It was, it was a passion project at the beginning. I love coaching, mostly in sporting environments. I've, I've always been a coach ever since I moved out to Seattle. I coach wrestling teams. I've coached kids in church camp. I've coached... There's a long list of things. I, I really love working with other people. So that's a skill I've always had and have been drawn to. And then finally, just connected the dots on the career side and, and said, well, let's just try it out and see what happens. And fast forward two years and we've had 100 clients and, and I, I don't even know how many followers on LinkedIn we have at this point, but I have a pretty decent sized audience and, and here we are. Yeah. And if you're not following Adam, you definitely want to be following him. Even if you're not interested in getting into tech, or engineering because he has some really actionable, fantastic insights as a hiring manager. In fact, his post today was about the difference between how the average college grad reviews resumes and actually writes their own resume versus what an experienced hiring manager is looking for. And the headline was, don't get lost in the weeds, a simple resume format with strong result context action statements is extremely effective. Can you just tease that out a little bit, Adam? Yeah, so so many people, and again, I I recruited at universities for like three years. When I was at Boeing, I was actually one of like the deputized liaisons to Virginia Tech. And I got to go to career fairs and I actually went to several other schools. So spent a decent amount of time working with people in student worlds, trying to get jobs. And and I can tell you that so many people get lost in surface level aspects of their marketing plan. And that could be a resume, that could be a LinkedIn profile, that could be a network message, but they'll focus on format. They'll focus on trying to gamify some kind of ATS and applicant tracking system they'll focus on, or really, I guess they get lost in the sense that, oh, I'm a student and I don't have enough experience. I I need to talk about something else. I'm going to plug tons of club information in. Or All that is to say is if you can articulate how you created value for someone, value is a net positive impact. That essentially is the great equalizer. You could be a burger flipper, but if you understand how, number one, you added value by flipping burgers, affected the company. That's that's huge. If you can go a step beyond that and say, okay, now I changed part of the process, improved it, and now we everybody is now making 5% more burgers every day. That's doubly huge. That's a lot of what I'm looking for from from student resumes. I'm, I'm not as as picky. Again, like you said, like the major and your GPA. What, what I'm really looking for is I want to understand how the student solves the right problem, creates the right value, and delivers strong results. If you can put that in a resume, what you're doing is less important. So that's really what I meant by by that post today on LinkedIn. Adam, two final questions. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? Maybe you even screwed something up in a significant (laughs) way. Maybe. That never happens. Never. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How you recovered and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. And it can be a real quick story. I moved into a management role 
inside of my second year at the Boeing company. It was a very, very fast transition. Manager at Boeing kind of holds some, some unique connotations. It's very different than the word manager at a company like Amazon. I, I really struggled the first like six months of that role. I, I struggled with giving people negative feedback. I struggled with the pressure of the job and to the point where I was almost considering just walking away from it and quitting. Like I was just going to go do something else. But had some good mentors that kind of steadied me through the process and helped me understand that I didn't have to manage like every person above me. I could come up with my own unique process. But yeah, I mean, that was a really big jump. And there was a lot of fake it till you make it that bothered me. So yeah, everybody's had something like that. And I'm no exception. Last question. If you could go back to Virginia Tech and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, Adam, what advice would you give yourself? I would buy Amazon sock and I would drop out of school. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> no, in a real sense, uh, <laughs> I, I think what I didn't do a good job of as a student was talking to enough people. I didn't, I didn't network enough as, as a person in school with people that were in industry or even professors or folks that just knew things. I wish I did a better job of learning from other people that had gone before and spending some time understanding what different companies and different roles actually look like. I made a lot of assumptions that I never validated, let's put it that way, when I was in school. Some of that was because I was lazy. Some of it was also just because I was intimidated and didn't want to try and figure out how to talk to those people. But that would be the advice I'd probably pass back down. Is You're never too big or too small to network. It always needs to be something you're doing. And when you're a student, use your .edu address if you're going to email a professional and reach out to someone like Adam to follow him on LinkedIn because you will get so many incredible insights and tidbits. Adam is also the founder of Broda Coaching. You can learn more about it on his LinkedIn site. He also has a website. I believe it's Adam Broda Coaching. Is that right? That's right. Adam, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. There was a huge ROI today. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Happy to, happy to jump in and uh, also happy to come back anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.